You're listening to the Mission Bitcoin Podcast. Hey, welcome everybody to the Mission Bitcoin Podcast, where each week we explore Christian responsibility in adopting Bitcoin. I'm Matt Solik, your host. And today we've got an interesting conversation with Jessica Hoddle and her new work at Plan B Passport with Katie the Russian. A large portion of their work is dedicated to limit dependency on any one particular state by obtaining a second passport. Now, for some people, it may seem a little uncomfortable to talk about a second passport or residing in another country. So to help give us some other insight, we invited William from Bitcoin in the Bible to help introduce this conversation for us. William provides a solid Christian perspective to get us into today's conversation with Jessica. So before we hear from her and the services that she's providing, let's take a listen to our conversation with William and enjoy this week's show. Uh, hey, William, thanks for joining us on today's episode. Uh, we've got a really special episode with Jessica Hoddle working with Plan B and, and Katie the Russian providing passport services for those that are looking to protect their wealth and, I, you know, honestly, their future because we really don't know what the, the politics of the U.S. is going to be in the future. And I think for our audience and quite frankly, for your audience as well, for your podcast, I think that, you know, you have a very libertarian bent to your political ideology. Um, I was very conservative, like would bleed red Republican. And I've really kind of backed away from that um, during my journey with Bitcoin. And just as we introduce Jessica and this whole concept of passports and having additional citizenships, you know, what, what should we as Christians think about that? Um, I think it belongs in the discourse, whether or not we can put it into a neat, you know, hole or cubby hole, I don't know, but I think it's worth discussion. So that's kind of why we wanted to have you on and kind of get your thoughts um, about, about what we're going to launch into with Jessica. Yeah, glad to be here, Patrick. I think it's a it's a good thing to be thinking about in this day and age that we live in. the The world's increasingly in in turmoil, and I think for the Christian, it's uh, it's a idea of multiple passports that's kind of held in tension. You know, do we do we flee persecution? Do we flee trouble, or do we stand? You know, are we not of this world, and thus we shouldn't be concerned with the affairs of this world? And I think that you can see uh, both of these, um, both these ideas, the intention in scripture. So, you know, we can look at like Hebrews 10, 34, right? Where it talks about uh, you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions, knowing that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. So we, when we as Christians are called to face persecution, when we're called to stand and, and lose everything in this life, we're to do so with joy gratefully knowing that we have a, a greater reward eternally, but that doesn't mean that we should seek out that persecution. We shouldn't seek out having our, our, you know, our possession stolen. If there's the opportunity for us to move to a jurisdiction that will treat us better, uh, Proverbs 27, 12 says a sensible person sees danger and takes cover the inexperienced keep going and are punished. So I think, yeah, as, as a believer looking at the world around us, it's, it's prudent to start considering, Hey, if things get bad in the jurisdiction that I'm in, I should look at what my options are. I should look at moving. Is there a place that will treat me better, that will treat my family better, that will help me preserve capital for future generations? 
Right? I think those are wise and prudent things uh, to be considering. Uh, well said. Uh, you know, as as I talked to Jessica and kind of reflected on the the information, I was I was reminded of Paul's experience. You know, he was a he was a Jew, um, but he was a Roman citizen. He uh, operated within the Jewish confines, but when he was able to appeal to a higher authority with the Roman his Roman citizenship, that's what he appealed to, and that's how he ultimately ended up in Rome. And kind of thinking that. You know, that's kind of essentially, and in in essence, he had three citizenships. You know, he had his Jewish heritage citizenship, so to speak, um, because in that at that time, you know, uh, Israel was given a lot of autonomy, so he could operate within that realm without much interference from the Romans. He had his Roman citizenship, and then obviously he had his heavenly citizenship. And I, I'm wondering if that's that's a proper framework of understanding and kind of dovetailing into you know what you just said. Yeah, and he used those citizenships shrewdly. He didn't run around and always play the I'm a Roman card. He, you know, he let himself be beat <laughs> on multiple occasions because he, he was uh, being careful about, about what, uh, what course of action he would take depending on the circumstance. So there are times as a believer where maybe it's prudent to, to endure the persecution, stay put where you are, and, and have the greater picture in mind. And there are times to say, you know what, I think, I think this is the time for me to, to pull my other citizenship card and let, you know, let's get out of here. Let's, let's also kind of talk about the kind of the elephant of the room, which we were talking about before we started. And Matt, if you want to jump in as well about, you know, this idea of, of the Christian base or Christians really have been, for lack of a better word, manipulated by politicians for um, our vote, and do we need to really separate? I don't know. Do we need to stand up against that and really be critical about what politicians are doing? Yeah, I'll give you my thoughts. I think that if anything, this last election has made us more aware of typically where we may vote for the candidate that aligns with our values. I think maybe we become, you know, aware of the people that, that we want to vote for because of our values. But we have seen where we have taken some of those things to an extreme of where we have maybe cross-pollinated some of our values and things that we see that scripture speaks to that has informed our biblical view of who we are and our worldview of who others are, uh, that we, we have a responsibility and a duty with that, but had us crossed over in somewhat where our politics have moved into a position where it it doesn't allow us to actually be able to speak to the freedom. So where we may vote for the candidate that aligns with our values, um, we can be pulled into that direction that doesn't allow us maybe to actually speak more into the things that we are actually supposed to align our with, where we get our truth from. So aligning ourselves with scripture first, I feel like. And so it's just probably something I think about to just to be more aware of than it is to say, hey, this is right or wrong. Yeah, well said. Yeah, I think oftentimes Christians are like, you know, the nation of Israel, give us a king. We we just want, give us the powerful president, give us the powerful Congress that's going to enact God's perfect rule of law. And if the right Republicans got elected, then everything would be perfect. And I think that this these last election cycles have really pushed people to re-examine their presuppositions and say, you know what, if we fundamentally presuppositionally believe that men are fallen and wicked and evil, 
maybe giving them unlimited power is not the wisest idea. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, excellent. Um, well, before we kind of wrap this intro up and we get into Jessica's um, com- comments and interview, uh, William, any other follow-up or closing remarks about this whole concept of passports and, and kind of thinking in this new paradigm? I think that it is a it is a fascinating time to be a Bitcoiner and a believer, and I think that the two mesh really well. And I am excited to see how God uses um, the Western government squeezing their citizens to push the gospel out uh, across uh, the world. I think that's that's an effect that is going to happen. Yep. As as smaller nations are more receptive to Bitcoiners and there's jurisdictional arbitrage. I expect that we'll see wealthy, believing Bitcoiners flee to those jurisdictions, bring their capital with them, and begin to invest and pour into the local economies and the local hearts and lives and redeem the lost. Very well said. You know, I'm revisiting the Perspectives book and reading uh, Ralph Winters. He has a great article on missions, and he's got an article called The Kingdom Strikes Back. And every time the Christian society does not fulfill God's great commission— um, he destroys that society and, and pushes uh, believers out to evangelical uh, missionary roles. Uh, so I totally wholeheartedly agree with that assessment. I think that, uh, but we need to be aware of it. We don't want to be passive in participating in God's great commission. We need to be actively aware of what's going on and say, okay, this is what's going on. And I, I need to be a partaker of, of fulfilling God's uh, commission. Hey, Jessica, thanks. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, It's a real pleasure to actually get to meet you. Um, As I mentioned before recording, I've enjoyed your sassiness on Twitter for quite some time. And uh, so it's it's nice to get to meet you. For the audience, Jessica, why don't you describe or introduce yourself and kind of explain, you know, what you're doing. And and, um, I also want to ask about your Bitcoin story, but just kind of explain, you know, what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. No, thank you so much for having me on here. It's a pleasure and I'm so excited to get to talk to you. Um, well, basically, I'm Jessica. Um, I'm just a regular girl, pleb. Um, I recently started working for Plan B Passport with Katie the Russian and I basically do business development at the company. So I basically take calls, consultancies with people who basically we just strategize about their current situation, what it is they're uh, looking for, whether it's an exit plan, um, looking for a better tax regime. Um, Basically, we just help people to obtain a second passport into a jurisdiction that's beneficial specifically for them. And um, I've gotten to Bitcoin Twitter earlier this year and had no idea what I was missing out on. Um, Mm -hmm. Met a lot of cool people. Um, It's just been an incredible journey. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that. I, uh, I've i been a member of Twitter since, I don't know, 2011. Ne- never really used it until I started getting into Bitcoin. And it's really a phenomenal resource. I don't think I would ever have thought that about Twitter. But I, I think if for, for, for Bitcoin in particular, it's, it's phenomenal. And people have just been so gracious. I mean, you can reach out to most anybody and they'll, they'll respond to you. Um, so it's been great. Um, Jessica, uh, kind of describe how your journey into Bitcoin, how, how did that start? I mean, you are young. So, I mean, how did you develop an interest in, in Bitcoin to begin with? Yeah. So it's pretty funny. Um, my mom actually orange pilled me and, um, she listened to Max Kaiser and Stacey for forever. 
And basically she came to me and she was like, you know, I want you to do your own research. I want you to make your own decisions, but there's this thing called Bitcoin and um, basically just look into it. And what really got me fascinated was that I really viewed it as our last chance of true freedom, not only in the monetary sense, but in the sovereign sense. Um, so I've been in, I've known about Bitcoin for a couple of years now. And um, I just think it's one of the most life-changing, complex, fascinating inventions of our time. And I'm, I'm so excited that I actually get to witness it myself. Yeah, that's amazing. That's phenomenal. I totally agree. It's, it's a fun, I, I think that most people just don't understand how phenomenal an invention it actually is. It's incredible. What, um, why do you think it, how did you come to the conclusion or why were you thinking that it was our last chance of freedom? I mean, what, what were you seeing as a young adult to, to think that? Well, basically, I mean, the fact that it's scarce, there's only 21 million coins and there's probably less than that because they've been lost. Um, there's no central bank. There's no person telling you when and where you can transact your money, who you can send it to, what you can do with it. Um, you can travel around the world with all of your wealth, with only needing 12 to 24 words in your head. You don't even need a, a, a physical object in your hand, you know? Um, and I truly believe that Bitcoin brings freedom, liber liberty, and sovereignty in a world where we don't really have control of our money because they could just shut down your bank account for no reason, mm -hmm. especially with what we're seeing what's happening around the world now. I mean, the WEF just uh, released a video talking about how a huge winter storm could keep people from accessing their money digitally and physically. So wow. it's just absolutely insane to see what's happening around the world and Bitcoin, you know, the saying is Bitcoin fixes that and it truly fixes all of our problems. Yeah, I agreed, agreed. Um, so Jessica, what, uh, describe your, I guess, um, how you hooked up with Katie and yeah, how did you guys meet and how did you get interested in what she was doing? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so I got into Bitcoin Twitter, I want to say around March or April of this year. And really I got on, I got onto Twitter because during the lockdown, I was like, Oh my gosh, what is, what am I experiencing right now? This is absolutely ludicrous. Like what is going on? So I was like, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go on the internet and see if I can connect with like-minded people. And even my mom was like, you know, back to Stacey here on Twitter, like connect with like-minded Bitcoin people on Twitter. So I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> because for the longest time I was like, Twitter is just like this annoying app. Like, why would I go on there? And finally I gave in and I was like, okay, I'll go on. And basically it was my um, venting uh, route. <laughs> basically just talking about uh, how much I hated everything that was going on and um, really talking about how much I loved Bitcoin because I was like, oh my gosh, I know about this thing that solves so many problems. I need to talk about it with as many people as I can and so basically I just started doing that and um, connected with a lot of like-minded people which was amazing and then that's when I found out about, about the Bitcoin conference in Miami and I was like okay I gotta go to that because I haven't hung out around people in like a year and I need some social interaction with some like-minded people so went to Bitcoin 2021 
was absolutely incredible. Um, met some amazing people. And funnily enough, um, about a week after the conference, I was invited to dinner um, by one of the people I met. And he was like, yeah, um, like Katie's going to be there. A couple of other people are going to be there. So I went to dinner and that's where I met Katie. And um, her and I really like hit it off the bat right away. We were talking about uh, unschooling and I talked to her about how I was homeschooled and um, talking about like how we both found Bitcoin. And um, we basically just really connected and meshed with the way we think and the way we act and stuff like that. So, um, and then a couple of months ago, and that was in, that was in June. So a couple months ago, she reached out to me and she was like, Hey, like, what are you up to? Um, like, would you be interested in working for plan B? And I was like, absolutely. And like, my gosh, I'd be helping people who understand Bitcoin because our audience is mainly Bitcoiners. So, um, mm-hmm. I'd be helping people to, you know, find another way out of all the authoritarian and tyrannical measures that are being implemented around the world. So um, I started about two months ago. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Uh, So describe for the audience what you guys do and let's, uh, you know, uh, yeah. So let's, let's talk about what you guys do, what services you guys provide. Yeah, definitely. So at plan B, we help people to obtain a second passport into a jurisdiction that's beneficial specifically for them. We'll look at the tax regime and um, basically implement a flag theory to limit dependency on any one state. Um, And the reason why we chose the six countries we offer um, is because of our own audience's interest and our own philosophical alignment with those jurisdictions. Um, And they allow full confidentiality, their tax havens with a better tax regime, and they don't share any financial or personal information with other countries. Um, and the citizenship by investment program means that you don't have to visit or reside on the island to actually obtain citizenship. Um, and you can obtain citizenship through either donation or real estate. Uh, Antigua is the only one that you actually have to visit the island. You just have to spend at least five days within the next five years. Um, and I mean, it's really just pure capitalism applied to government services. You basically give the government 150 grand and you receive a passport. So um, it, I mean, it really gives you a hedge against your current government and just limits your dependency against one state. Well, okay. So let, let's walk through all this. Cause this is, as I mentioned to you before, this is kind of new to me and it's, it's very interesting. Um, I, I do want to delve down or pull the threads on that a little bit, but who are your clients? I mean, where are they coming from? All over the world, really. Um, I've been speaking with a lot of Australians and Canadians recently just because of what's happening over there, which is really insane, but I mean, all over the world. And how, um, what's, uh, I, I guess for me holding, uh, two passports, unless, you know, I, the only frame of reference I have for something like that is a born movie or something like that. But, um, are there people that hold more than one pass, uh, two passports? I mean, do people hold two, three, four, five passports? Yeah, so the flag theory originally was three flags, um, then it turned to five, then it turned to seven. Um, and Katie talked about it in the Safe Dean's podcast a mm-hmm. little bit, where she actually thinks that it can be brought back down to three because of Bitcoin. Um, but flag theory is it's basically the idea that an individual can limit their dependency on one particular state by establishing a legal presence. So for example, taking a flag and jurisdictions, which benefit them in various ways. 
Okay, so, uh, you know, as an American citizen, um, our tax system is pretty onerous. And, you know, uh, I, I believe I heard Katie on one podcast, maybe it was Safedines, but what, the U.S. and Etria in East Africa are the only two countries in the world that have a, what, a global tax presence or wh- whatever. You could be anywhere in the world and the U.S. can actually... Uh, demand taxes from you. And actually, interestingly enough, that was actually instituted by um, Abraham Lincoln to fund the Civil War. But um, what, uh, what what benefit would it be for me to have a, a passport in Antigua if the, if the government can still take, you know, if they can still exact whatever taxes they want on me? How does that, how does that help me from a tax perspective? From a tax perspective, I mean, not much. The main, I guess, benefit that um, Americans I've spoke to recently is that, I mean, say, God forbid, they revoke your passport and um, they say you can't leave the country. You will have another passport to say, well, I'm a foreigner. You can't keep me here. Okay, so for a U.S. citizen, the the tax situation, we can't really do anything about that. But if you're Australian or Canadian, I presume that there would be a benefit to holding a second passport for tax purposes. Is that correct? Yeah. So for example, if you're a Canadian, you can establish non-tax residency pretty easily um, and then establish residency in whichever jurisdiction uh, you have a passport in. Okay, Jessica, I'm sorry. Okay, so let me just understand what you just said. So you can establish non-tax. So basically I could... Uh, remain a Canadian citizen, but a no, I could have a non-tax status in Canada, but then I could have a um, residency in Antigua. I, I'm just going to use Antigua throughout. I don't know if that's the best one or not, but then I could establish a residency in Antigua. That way I could travel around the world on an Antiguan um, passport. Yeah. I mean, you can still travel with your Canadian passport. It's still useful. Um, you're just basically telling the Canadian government, hey, like, I'm not living here anymore. Um, I'm not using your, like, governmental services. Um, so I'm a non-tax resident. Okay, that's okay. So for, for a typical American, I mean, what, when, when you, I guess, talk to your clients, I mean, what kind of questions are you asking to kind of figure out what, what's best for them? Yeah, so basically, um, the biggest things are how many people you're including on your application, So, because that determines the price. Um, for Americans, it doesn't really apply to them, but uh, the tax regime, um, how much you care about, uh, especially now with restrictions and mandates, because it, it, that's uh, determinant depending on the island. Um, and if you're deciding on living there or not. So would the, so I presume that if you never intend to live somewhere, you're not going to promote, obviously, a passport in a country that demands that you have residence there for some period of time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and I mean, freedom is pretty important to a lot of people nowadays. So, like, for example, St. Lucia is the most freedom-oriented of the islands. They haven't implemented any vaccine mandates for citizens or tourists. Um, they just require a PCR test when you come in, but um, they are definitely the most freedom-oriented. Interesting. Okay. I mean, is that, is that the one? What, and what is, their, what is their residency requirement? Do they require you to be there? Nope. Okay. Wow. Okay. So it, it would seem that 
probably St. Lucia probably is the one you guys push people towards. Is that a fair statement? Well, it depends. If you, say, for example, have a weaker passport, so if you have, like, a UK passport, I would say you probably want a St. Lucian, St. Lucian, St. Kitts passport, because St. Kitts offers a more powerful passport, and um, it allows you to visit um, the most amount of countries visa-free. So it also depends on uh, what original passport you have as well. Interesting. Okay. So there really is kind of a matrix that you really have to think through when you're, when you're going through this. Okay. Very interesting. Um, what, um, and what, what's typically the response of the foreign government at, when you guys are providing this sort of service? I, I presume, I mean, obviously they offer it, it's part of their, their investment programs, but do they help fast track these passports or is it just kind of part of the system? No, it's pretty much just part of the system. And we have good relations with the um, offices there. Um, but so St. Lucia takes around six to eight months right now to obtain a passport. St. Kitts takes around eight to 10. So that's another thing we take into consideration is um, someone's timeline. Um, if they need a passport fast track, we would say, okay, well, you probably want to go with St. Lucia because they require um, the least amount of documents for someone to provide. Whereas St. Kitts um, requires more documents and they require epistille. So that obviously takes up, that just takes up more time. So. Okay. What was that? They also require, what did you say? Epistille. It's um, like a, it's like a certain uh, kind of signature you need on the document. Just verify okay. the document. Okay. And so when we're talking about documents, I guess, I presume we're talking about passport, birth certificates, bank accounts. Is that kind of. Mm-hmm. Marriage certificates. Okay. Um, you'd have to go get a medical health certificate, HIV test, um, proof of source of funds. So basically proving that you didn't win it, like an an underground casino or stuff like that. Okay. And then what, what's the, uh, when you obtain a second passport and you establish residency, I mean, what are the... I presume you can just start a business there and or um, your residency. I mean, how, how easy is that process to like start a business in, in most of these countries? Is it, how is that? Yeah, you can start a business. They're not the most, um, I guess, tax ideal for businesses. Um, the British Virgin Islands and the Cayman Islands, they offer zero corporate tax. So you could just start a business there. Um, St. Kitts offers uh, a great amount of privacy for businesses, but again, the corporate tax um, isn't as appealing as, say, other islands. Okay, and I guess that would lead to another question about as far as, you know, what are there any requirements to report your crypto assets in any of these jurisdictions, or how did, how is that handled? Yeah, so they all offer zero capital gains tax. So if you're a resident of the island, um, then you get to take advantage of that tax regime. Okay, but when you're when you become a resident, do you? Okay, maybe maybe the, maybe this. I don't know how to ask this question without seeing seeming nefarious. But you know, if you if you're reporting your bank account, right? I mean, that's that's what you have in your bank account. But um, do you also have to give them documents that show this is how much crypto I have? And because it's not it's not in a bank, so how does that work? Oh, you're, so you're saying for the donation as far as that goes? 
Uh, well, you said you have to turn over bank records. Um, so do you have to declare, I guess, do you have to declare all of your assets? And if you have to declare all of your assets, do you, how do you handle crypto? You just have to show um, the sufficient amount for the donation. So for example, St. Lucia, for a single applicant, the donation amount is $100,000. So basically you just have to show whatever you would want to show them that you have that amount of money to pay for the donation. Okay. okay, so you're not having to list out all your assets that you own. You can just you just have to verify that you can pay for the the um, citizenship by investment and that's that's pretty much it. Exactly. Okay, awesome. Um, Jessica, what about uh, the the US territories? Do you guys ever give any guidance like for Puerto Rico or the Virgin um, the US Virgin Islands? Do you guys um, have clients that ask about that? Um, not really. We don't offer um, Puerto Rico as a service. Um, I know Mark Moss recently moved there, and um, he's had like good things to say about it. I mean, Puerto Rico is its own independent tax system, so they've basically created tax incentives to bring productive individuals and their businesses to the island. Um, so, and it's actually pretty interesting the way they've set it up. Their corporate taxes are 4% and um, any dividends paid to you personally are from your Act 20 company aren't taxed as well. So um, it's pretty interesting. If, if you're someone that's interested in moving to Puerto Rico, I would say to look at Act 20 and 22. Um, and the key is to become a resident of Puerto Rico because otherwise you won't be able to take advantage of the dividend tax exemption which means that you need to be present in Puerto Rico for at least 183 days during the year. And what's interesting about Act 22 is your future capital gains become tax-free. So from the moment you become a resident of Puerto Rico to, and then any future capital gains you acquire, um, they're tax-free. And they also have another interesting um, aspect, which if you're currently sitting on any major capital gains, if you spend more than 10 years as a resident there, your tax obligation on the portion of capital gains you accrued while still living in the U.S. goes to 5%. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. All right. No, and, and obviously I have to give the uh, um, disclaimer that I'm not an accountant or a lawyer. Yes, so yes. Obviously yes. you should uh, consult an accountant uh, if this is something you're uh, – wanting to look more into because, you know, everyone's situation is different. Of course, of course. And what, um, I guess, what's the, maybe not success rate is the right word, but um, when people start investigating this, do they usually come pretty well educated already and they're coming to you guys to kind of pull the trigger or what, um, how do people usually come to you guys on what level of education on this process? Yeah, recently, yeah, um, we get pretty much the same questions. Um, people, I mean, especially now, it's, I need a plan B. I need an exit plan for me and my family. It's like, which island is best for me? And uh, it's either I'm ready to get started now or I will in the near future. Okay, okay. And, you know, before we started recording, I wanted to ask about the, the, the whole citizenship thing and renouncing citizenship. And... You know, I, I think for me personally, that that would be very tough to do, but I, I'm sure there are some people that that would consider something like that. But what uh, kind of talk to us about, you know, that process and what that entails? 
Yeah, so basically, I mean, a lot of um, U.S. citizens that I speak to, it's not something they want to move forward with just because of the exit tax, which is 40% on all your assets. Um, but basically, and it's funny because they actually shut down the uh, that service. So uh, even though all their other services are up and running, you can't renounce your U.S. citizenship because of COVID. So that's it's con- convenient. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, no, basically you would go say, I want to renounce my citizenship. Uh, you'd go through an interview, um, pay a fee and um, pay your exit tax. And uh, I'm not completely versed in what the exact process is, but that's the, that's the gist of it. But people can't even do it now. So it's pretty. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to include it just for completeness sake. And the, the 40% taxes, um, that hurts. And I think probably for a lot of people, if they're going to consider something like that, do it when you're young, when you don't have a lot of assets, because otherwise it just becomes really untenable. It's probably why, um, every election year we hear actors and actresses say that they're going to renounce their citizenship, but then they never do it because they, they have no idea what they're talking about. (laughs) It's exactly what it is. But it's really interesting to see the number of people that have been renouncing their citizenships from like, 08, the number has just exponentially increased. And it would have been it would have been much higher if they didn't shut down that service. Mm, mm, really interesting. Yeah. Uh, Jessica, what, you know, as we're talking about this, you know, maybe there's some questions I haven't asked. I mean, what, what do you think is kind of important um, about the service that you provide and what provides your passion for, you know, basically providing the service for specifically Bitcoiners? Yeah, well, I mean, um, we want to protect our assets. We want to protect our families. So, you know, we have our assets secure in Bitcoin and why wouldn't we want to protect our, you know, bodily autonomy and our, uh, free will. And if, you know, uh, country is deciding to take that away from us i mean we would want a second plan and and another way out of that crazy situation that some people are being put in and i feel really grateful in that i get to be involved with that and help people to basically strategize and create a plan because we know that humans can't uh, perform well under stress and mm-hmm. uh, if we don't I mean especially in a, in a situation where you're not able to leave uh, like it's something where it's it's almost like an insurance policy right if if you don't have it and you need it, it it's something that takes time and money and planning and uh, it's it's an insurance policy that I think is pretty priceless what when when you start down this process do, I mean, what's the payment? Do you pay the money up front or is it only after you get the residency or how, how does that work? Yeah. So basically how the process goes is you'll put down half of plan B's fees, which is $10,000. And you'll basically spend the next 30 to 45 days gathering all the documents you need um, in order for us to submit to the island. And we'll be putting together all your government forms, um, basically putting your uh, case together to submit to the island. And then once everything is submitted to the island, um, they'll do their own due diligence. So um, it's a, depending on the jurisdiction, it depends on how long they actually take to do that. But basically after that, um, they'll come back with a letter of pre-approval saying that uh, your 
application was good to go, everything came back clear. So long as you make the donation amount, um, you'll receive a passport and then you'll get your passport in the mail around three weeks later. So the, I guess what I'm, uh, want to make sure is, I mean, you're, you're, you're not paying the, the hundred grand or 150 grand, depending on where you're going. You're not paying that unless you know that you're going to get the, the passport. I mean, we're paying for the, we're paying for the plan B service, but you're not, you're not paying the actual investment fee until you know, you're going to have the passport. Yeah. And a hundred percent of our clients receive passports just because we do our own internal due diligence before anything is signed or anything gets started. So we already know pretty much. Okay. That's a great point. That's great. Um, and what about, uh, does El Salvador offer a program like this? So they have a residency program where you basically give three Bitcoin and you obtain residency there. Um, the only problem with this is that you only become a resident. You don't receive a passport. It's mm. good in the sense that you have another place to live, but you don't really get the benefits of having also another travel document to rely on. Say if your other passport gets revoked or doesn't allow you access to certain countries. So um, that's the that's the biggest difference with El Salvador. Okay, that's a good that's a good point. And what about uh, reciprocation or reciprocity? Um, or there's probably another legal term I can't I can't think of it. But you know, if let's say you're in the U.S., you know, your passport gets revoked, you go to Saint Lucia. I mean, are there can the long arm of the U.S. government, for whatever reason, say you know we want you to revoke their passport, their Saint Lucian passport? Is that is that a possibility, or how how do these different jurisdictions work with each other on issues like that? Yeah, um, I mean Saint Lucia, like for example, it's not part of the Five Eyes countries. So I mean, pretty much we look at like the U.S., Canada, U.K. as all like pretty much the same. They share information with each other, but Saint Lucia doesn't share any information with any countries, um, it's completely confidential. So they wouldn't really have the, the power to do that. But they would know you had a, they would know you had a second passport. I mean, they don't share that you ever obtained one. So. Okay. Yeah. I'm just thinking through that. I mean, if you're, if you're traveling with the, through an international airport with a St. Lucian passport, it's, it's computerized and did no, um, anyway, that just kind of a theoretical question. I'm, I'm not trying to evade the law. I just, <laughs> I just maybe, maybe, maybe I've watched too many movies. I don't know. Um, all right. Very good. Are there any other questions that maybe I'm missing that you think are common that people ask and maybe that our audience, um, should consider? Um, no, it's funny. You pretty much asked all the traditional questions that um, people ask. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say the big thing for people to keep in mind is um, like vaccine mandates and travel restrictions. I mean, that's a that's a huge thing. Antigua implemented vaccine mandates. St. Kitts has vaccine mandates for tourists, but not for citizens. Um, and St. Lucia has no vaccine mandates and obviously like we don't know the future we don't know you know i mean a, a government could go awol and decide you know everyone's locked yeah. out we're not doing anything um but it is interesting you know to keep in mind how they've uh acted in the past yeah very yeah i mean that's the one thing you just don't know how any government's going to act i think we've seen that uh right in front of our eyes yeah 
Yep. Very good, Jessica. Um, thanks so much for your time. And it's been a pleasure um, kind of chatting with you and kind of getting to know what you do. And I know where to find you on Twitter. And um, I haven't looked at your profile lately. Do you have, is is Plan B, is, there web, is the website in your Twitter profile or is there a website people can go to? Yeah, the website's in my Twitter profile. It's planbpassport.com. And my email is also jessica at planbpassport.com. Go right to our website. You can set up a call. It's free. Um, you don't have to give through your name or anything. It's completely confidential. So, um, And we just basically strategize on what it is you're looking for. Awesome. Fantastic. Jessica, thanks so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. If you know of someone who would benefit from hearing this episode, please be sure to pass it along. Also, I just want to make you aware that Patrick has released his latest book called The Christian Case for Bitcoin, which examines some of the major points of tension between the Christian faith and our current monetary system to demonstrate why an alternative is needed. If you're a Christian exploring Bitcoin, or if you're looking to gain understanding and some of the similarities between the two, then this book is written for you. We'll leave a link to the book in the description below. If you're sensing you can use some help and clarity of direction for you in these areas, or if you'd like some help for your church in adopting Bitcoin, give us a shout. Start a conversation with us by visiting the links in the show notes of today's podcast. Patrick and I talk a little bit more about the book on next week's podcast, so be sure to join us for that. Until then, have a great week, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Mission Bitcoin podcast. To access the tools discussed today, be sure to use the links found in the show notes. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional.